I'm not anti Wall Street. I love the stock market. It is my bright and shiny object, but it's it's a game, and it's a lot of educated gambling, and it can be very dangerous, and it can be a very powerful accumulation tool. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so that you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo. And in today's episode of Getting Money Right, we're talking to Ken Green. Ken is the host of the Engineer of Finance podcast, and he's a financial advisor and the founder of GreenFi.com. So GreenFi is green like the color but you add an e at the end so it's green g-r-e-e-n-e-f-i green fi green finance green fi.com now okay ken i'm so excited that you're here you uh have a professional engineering license you're a pe uh background in ee electrical engineering my dad is a double e uh, he's a broadcast engineer. I worked for a forensic engineering company for five years. And what I love is the way I've listened to your podcast. Uh, I, I've dug into your content. I love the way you think. I love the way you go in depth. You really want to pull out uh, the best data, the best information to serve people really well. So give us a little bit of your story of going from you know years of education on engineering, uh, really a, a phenomenal career there, to then learning about personal finance and then stepping over to serve people in what I believe is an underserved area of the market, the education and the product side, when you educate and then offer people opportunities. So I love the products that you've got. And I love the opportunities for people to invest, but just share a little bit of your story. Hey guys, thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited. So thank you. And yeah, a little bit of my, about my story. Yeah. I got my bachelor of science, electrical engineering, uh, minor mechanical, and then uh, years later, went back to get my Bachelor of Science in Civil to expedite getting my professional engineering license. And so I'm licensed in Nevada and California. Love engineering, love design, loving troubleshooting. And just a quick rewind prior to that, yeah, I was getting designed uh, as an electrical engineer. I'm working with great people learning how to design electronic ignition systems. I'm going to top fuel drag races, pro stock. It was awesome. And then the company's going, I always took jobs not for the money. Matter of fact, I got that internship. I said, I'll go work for free. I just want to work for you guys. I'll work for free while I was trying to get my uh, EE uh, degree. And they actually paid me to come on board because they just like the, I said, I work for free. And uh, so it was great. They're going bankrupt. And I go work for the telephone company for five years as an outside plant design manager. And that was an incredible education, which you can only get internally working at these companies. And, uh, but then had an opportunity to get into uh, land development as a civil engineer. You know, I had a developer I really admired. And they're trying to find civil engineers. They couldn't find anyone because it, it was so crazy with land development. And I'm like, well, I'm an electrical engineer, but I can figure out the civil part. And didn't exactly know what I was signing up for because I took a huge pay cut to go there, which I was okay with. My mom thought I was crazy. <laughs> and I uh, went back to school, uh, school full-time to accelerate getting my Bachelor of Science in Civil and was working full-time about 40 hours plus. Got a phenomenal education, land development. Uh, literally all the civil improvements from the dirt to in-situ conditions, right? Soil all the way up to roadways, civil improvements, offshore, everything, hydrology reports, all of it up to the house. And then uh, in 06, it all stopped, right? Uh, land development stopped. And so I'm on the corner saying I'll engineer for food. And I had a serious relationship with my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and I got a great family. 
and I didn't want to leave the Reno Tahoe area. And so, yeah, I'm on the corner sale engineer for food. It's like, what can I do to survive? And I, I was always fascinated with the stock market and the financial industry. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'll go start an insurance agency, sell auto and home insurance products, got my securities license. And boy, did I quickly find out I hated the industry very, very quickly. Yeah. Hated it. Uh, but loved my clients. And it was really interesting because I had engineers and a lot of people just coming to meet me. It's like, hey, we can't describe this guy. You just got to come meet him. I was like the best referral ever. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, and I'm very focused and thanks for the compliment on the education piece because uh, I get in the industry in the first week, I realized I had no protection auto insurance, no protection really. Well, home insurance, fine. Auto insurance, none. And I'm like, anyone who comes to my door, whether they become a client or not, I'm going to educate them on it. I'm going to take the most boring topic in the world, make it as exciting as possible uh, and teach them how it works. And more importantly, how it doesn't work. And, and so me knowing nothing about marketing, especially then, just by treating people like I want to be treated, being very education focused. I remember literally going down to a school, it really exists. I love to tell the insurance carrier's name, uh, arguing in the first hours while I'm down there for in Agora Hills, uh, California. The first, the, the, it was a week of training. If you met this cut, like if you were mm -hmm. able to sell enough auto and home insurance, they'll, they'll educate you more. It had nothing to do with education on auto and home insurance products. It was all about sales crap. Right. And I'm arguing with the, the, the instructor, like two hours in, I'm trying to be quiet. But I'm like, he's all, hey, people don't want to be educated on, on insurance. No, they just, just sell it. And I'm all, I have to disagree. He's all, Ken, you're an engineer. All your clients are engineers. That, that's, you're, you're wrong. And I'm like, actually, I have a lot of other clients and analytical thinkers that aren't engineers. And everyone, to this day, I've been in this industry since end of 08. Only one person has not wanted me to educate him on the most boring topic in the world, auto insurance. And it was a good wow. friend of mine up in Incline Village. He's all, Ken, I trust you. I don't care. Just do what I need. But outside that, and I was like, gosh, man, if people really want to learn about this. And then I just it, it carried it. And so anyway, that's how I got in the industry. It's how I've become the engineer of finance because one of my great marketing guys years ago is, oh, wait a minute, you're electrical engineer, civil engineer, professional engineer. Why don't we just call you the engineer of finance? And yeah. so anyway, that's how I got in the industry. I'm passionate about it. I love it. I always joke that the 99% in this industry make the 1% look bad. I struggle with this industry a lot, but boy, do I love my clients. And I love being education focused. And more importantly, in addition to that education, walking people through the listeners of my show on the Engineer Finance Podcast, and then my clients I work with one-on-one, -on -one, applying that knowledge and always helping them take the next step, creating these new habits, creating the momentum. And it's amazing what my clients accomplish uh, after a few months, after six months, after a year. And it's real fun high-fiving on an annual meeting. Right. And so anyway, that's how I get in the industry. That's what I'm about. And I love learning. I crave it. Every day I wake up, I feel like I know nothing, which I keep being told I shouldn't say that. But every day I wake up, I feel like I know nothing. I'm craving more and more knowledge. And uh, boy, and anyone wants to listen, anyone wants to learn. I love teaching. I love teaching it. I love mm -hmm. sharing what I've learned. That certainly resonates with David and I. We're both learners. Uh, we both love to share. And it's part of the reason why we do this podcast is we want to educate people so that they can do this on their own. We believe empowering people is the best way to help them become successful. And you certainly uh, seem to fit that, that mold as well. So uh, I think Thank that's you. what draw, draw, drew us to you and, and to the way you communicate and how you're serving your clients. And uh, I know that today, as we were talking about putting together this episode, we talked about uh, some of the things that you cover and, and something that drew both David and, and my attention is the investing outside of Wall Street. 
This is something we touched on, um, not very much, uh, unfortunately, but because uh, we're no experts in that, but um, we definitely want to di dive deeper into it. So that's why we asked you to come on, Ken, to talk about some of those options, what they look like, uh, how you educate your clients to do that, how you do that yourself. So let's just start with some of those. Some of the, the, the ones that we talked about is uh, life settlements, oil and natural gas, commodities, real estate. So just jump in whichever you want to cover uh, first, and we'll just kind of go through some of these. Yeah, I'll dive into it. And I'm just going to throw that disclaimer or alert out there because sometimes a lot of people think I'm against the stock market. I love it. Till I turn off my iPhone and it rings anyway. So I love obviously it. I didn't turn it off correctly, but sorry, everyone. Um, yeah, I mean, just real quick. I mean, just because, you know, some people, I wasn't clear enough years ago. I'm not anti-Wall Street. I love the stock market. It is my bright and shiny object, but it's, it's a game. And it's a lot of educated gambling and it can be very dangerous and it can be a very powerful accumulation tool. Uh, and it's been a dream of mine for my clients to have institutional access to the stock market. But with that said, if you want to have, uh, you should not be putting your entire portfolio in the stock market, in my opinion. I think you should put a part of it. And if you look at the most successful endowment funds out there, they have 20, 30% in the stock market and everything else is in alternative investments. And I just hate the word alternative investments because it's investments. You know, I guess so. The word is like alternative to the stock market, uh, but you want true diversification. Yeah, have twenty or thirty percent. And I don't know everyone's situation list in the show, but it's good to have a little bit in the stock market. But it's usually the last place I go to for my clients. You know, you want to get good habits, saving ten to twenty percent of your gross income, having six months to you're just sitting as a liquidity uh, opportunity. You know, emergency fund that's a very typical term, but also an opportunity fund. And then when you get to the other investments, it's like when you look at how real wealth is created for families and individuals and you watch how just how the stock, how the financial industry and the banks behave, one of my favorite, and I put in quotes, alternative investments, one of my favorite investments and my wealthiest clients, very strong real estate portfolio. Yeah. Right. And what's happening there. And if you watch how money moves, and we won't have time to really dive into it today, but you want to create real wealth. You want $1 creating simultaneous benefits, right? You just put money in the stock market, especially not doing so like qualified funds um, or qualified plans. I mean, you're just chasing rates of return. That's it. But you want to create real wealth. Look at real estate. When you go, that is a very powerful tax shelter, right? You have the ability to use tax depreciation. You can have a phenomenal income stream and not pay that much in income taxes, Right. Yeah, we saw that especially, and this may be a little too, um, you know, of a of a hot topic for some people. But we saw that with Donald Trump and his tax returns, he was using real estate and the losses of business on businesses, and then versus the gains of other businesses to zero out his tax, you know, liability. And I will, I, I can't say that he zeroed it out. We'll let the experts decide on all that. But but what you see is real estate as a very powerful place to move money around with high tax efficiency, to have a gain, not only in the capital, you know, the overall appreciation of the asset, but also the ability to, um, you know, do tax write-offs. There's multiple places inside of real estate to grow wealth. And in order to get into that, you need a, I love how you said it, you need a wealth building fund. Like you've got your emergency fund, but where's your opportunity fund? Do you have that in place? So that's cool. Thank you. And, and I'll dive a little bit more on the real estate side. And it's kind of funny. My son, he turns, uh, Maximus turns five uh, end of this month. 
And uh, when Trump was on TV, he's all president business. That's president business. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and now it's uh, now, and he's just such a, he just listens. And yeah. now uh, our new president, President Biden, he will constantly go, come on, man. Come on, man. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's great. President business and uh, come on, man. But yeah, real estate and, and obviously Trump is an example. A lot of people and, you know, my wealthiest clients is with real estate. And what are you accomplishing with it? Right. I mean, uh, when you're, it, it can be a very powerful tax shelter because of the depreciation mechanism, some other areas. Also, what's another benefit you're getting? I mean, you get into a 30 year fixed mortgage and you're a landlord. What do you get to do with rents 10 years from now? Yeah. Your mortgage stays fixed, but now you get to increase the spread, don't you? Because rents are going to go up. So now yeah. you're increasing cash flow. That's another benefit. What else are you getting? Um, well, it's real. It's tangible, right? I mean, government can, the Federal Reserve, Treasury, um, that monster, that's a whole other discussion. I mean, they just keep printing trillions of dollars. It's amazing. Yeah. They, they can do that all the day they want. They're not going to be able to take that home from you in that way, are they? Because that is real. That's tangible. Yeah. And uh, so it's shelter. I mean, so that's, that's a benefit. You know, you got that uh, appreciation uh, hedge and um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, oh, by the way, what else is happening? Equity keeps increasing. Right. Right. Not only, and I love cash flow. Yeah. Right. And so not only are you getting cash flow, but you also have something that over time, if you're playing the game, right? Like I had John Schaub who's uh, uh, building wealth one house at a time. He's going to be in my show again. And, uh, uh, boys, he cr helped create over the last 30 years, building wealth one house at a time, millionaire after millionaire after millionaire, because done right, uh, not only do you enjoy this nice cash flow, but I mean, you can have low to uh, higher double digit returns when you look at your entire internal rate of return because of the appreciation and the equity formed in those homes. Mm -hmm. and, and I asked one of my uh, clients here locally if I'm allowed to share this, but imagine if you owned 10 homes, pick a city. Yeah. Imagine if you home, owned single family residences, 10 of them, and you owned them outright. Do you think that might create a better than normal income for your family? Absolutely. What a phenomenal investment. So yeah, I love real estate. And it's not just being a landlord. Uh, and I would argue as a primary resident, not necessarily doesn't create cash flow. Uh, this is where I disagree with Kiyosaki a little bit. Even as a primary residence, it does build equity and it gives you opportunities. And so even as a home, it can be really nice. And it's nice at least one third of your payment the first seven years is going to pay down that principal. And the two thirds is going to interest. So I kind of joke in the first seven years, do you really own that house or does it the bank? Right. right. <laughs> so, um, but that's why I like real estate. And it's not just limited to being a landlord. I mean, you can get in on notes. I mean, you know, working with clients, I mean, you can get into some great notes, three-year, five-year notes where you're lending uh, to people who have a great opportunity. You're getting a consistent, nice income stream and you're in a first or second lien position. I prefer first lien position. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, what a great game with real estate. And then kind of carry that over to other alternative investments. Um, oil and natural gas. You know, I, I know for some people that's a hot topic, so it doesn't resonate for you. Don't invest in it. But if anyone thinks oil and natural gas is going away uh, for the next 30 years, I mean, that that's not going to happen. I don't care what kind of legislation that will come back real hard the other way. I mean, just look what happened in Texas recently. Right. I mean, that what a disaster. And, and I'm all for renewable energy. I love it. I love it. Right. Especially passive solar, photovoltaic, um, EV cars. I mean, the electric motor is fascinating. Tesla's right here in our backyard. And so I, I'm very really, yeah, optimistic to see that company keep improving. I love the electric motor, yeah. weak link, battery. 
That's the weak link. Yep. Right? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I know it's in your backyard today, but due to taxes and regulations, it's coming to Leo and I's backyard here in Texas. I think Elon's already moved. And... Oh yeah, he's there too. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, Governor Newsom, and I'm not attacking Newsom. I don't know him as a person, sure. but I just think it's funny. So please don't take me seriously, Governor Newsom, yeah. and, ruin my, <laughs> and ruin my life. Um, but you know, he got a Nevada Realtor of the Year Award last year. Are you serious? He also got Texas Realtor of the Year Award, Utah Realtor of the Year Award. I mean, man, uh, he's, he's the best realtor ever. I mean, it's moving, amazing. He's moving houses like nobody's business. Uh, the, they push out so much wealth out of that state. It's crazy. And then they just passed Prop 19. I had a phenomenal attorney on um, my podcast about a, uh, over a month ago. Uh, they created what's called Prop 19, which is gutted Prop 13. And so you watch what happens wow. to these people with real estate. They're just going to get taxed out of their homes down the road. That's where real estate might not be so much fun. Uh, yeah. But the oil and natural gas sector, I mean, you know, COVID just des two major things occurred last year. Um, one is that, I mean, Americans are incredibly hard workers. We mm. get after it. Mm -hmm. and I don't think anyone can, I mean, we're, we're spoiled in many ways. I mean, geopolitically where we're located, uh, but the entrepreneurism to just get after it, uh, all the abilities and, and unfortunately a little bit more hurdles in our way, but I mean, we can just be what we want to be. We can get after it and you yeah. work hard, you create successful systems and you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. It's amazing that the harder you work, the luckier you become. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, but in the oil and natural gas side, these guys are pedal to metal. We've created uh, energy independence and then they literally put themselves right out of business because oil got too cheap, natural mm -hmm. gas too cheap. Yeah. And then COVID hits. And what's very interesting, uh, I see this a lot with developers, these guys, guys and girls, mm. um, they have such, they're such optimists. They're always pedals to the metal. Majority just don't save. So they're always lending on hard money lenders. That could be a fun thing too, by the way, investing uh, bridge loans. And they need the money because they never have it. I swear to God, they fuel every boom and bust because they always got the bad boy trucks, the bad boy toys, and then things yeah. go sideways. They're always selling them for 10, 20% off. Uh, but they're just, they're, I so admire their personalities because don't tell them how they're not going to win. But when things go sideways, all of a sudden, you know, they, they don't have any liquidity. And so a lot of operators just got their butts handed to them and they had to sell their prime stuff because they're getting money calls, margin calls from the banks. Yeah. forcing them to sell off the number one assets. And then you have like relationships. I have partners out there, strategic partnerships yep. where they're sitting on a boatload of money, a lot of money liquid and then opportunity sought them out and they're acquiring stuff for, for, you know, not pennies, but 10, 20, 30 cents on a dollar. These are examples. This don't take it literally everyone listening, but just to convey a concept, and so what, what's very interesting with entrepreneurs and when, think, when pe people were very afraid last year, and rightly so, I think <laughs> people are a lot pretty afraid this year too, because of just the momentum of things that have been occurring and think, I really pray for the world to start turning again, and it will, but why everyone's getting out of oil and natural gas, why everyone's bailing, I, I'm a very uh, contrarian mindset. That's, and look at what Berkshire Hathaway does. Look what Warren Buffett does. Right. When everyone's fearful, that's when you should be greedy. And so some phenomenal opportunities in the oil and natural gas space presented themselves last year. The world will start turning again. And then when you have the government that shut down the pipeline to shut down drilling in the federal area and you're sitting on oil and natural gas opportunities, man, can you kill it?
could. There's always risks in these things. I mean, it's speculative. So you got to be careful. But if you got a lot of savings, you got other things diversified, what an incredible opportunity for the right families that are positioned. And so that's another alternative investment. I'll talk a little bit in a second about the Bank of Soros. Uh, yeah. It's not really an investment, but like life settlements. Yeah. You got, now, all these areas, I mean, a lot of these fall what's called in the Reg D space. And usually are only available for accredited investors. That's what really sucks, right? Mm -hmm. You already got, you got to be a millionaire essentially before you can play the game. Right. And I would argue that you always get this idea and myth is pushed out there. And I would argue through the stock market and Wall Street that the riskier you are, the stronger the returns, really. Because I would say that there's some areas where you can do a lot of risk mitigation, have way less risk than getting to the stock market, and you can crush it. Right. And so, uh, and do incredibly well. And so you, you'll see that in the energy space and all natural gas, you'll see it in like life settlements. What a phenomenal product. And just kind of give a cursory overview of it. Uh, essentially, you got it. The, the thing with the Reg D space is you got to make sure you're working with the right players. It's regulated, but not to the same scrutiny on these broker dealer and uh, registered investment advisory relationships. And so, Unfortunately, there's, I can't tell you how many times I get called on the next oil and natural gas deal. There's a lot of bad players in that industry. Mm. And there's been situations I've seen in the past that they don't even have a drilling rig. They just got a crap load of money for people. They're getting wow. paid on the front side, don't even have to perform. Right. And so you got to be really careful, but it can be a, a, a great place. Life settlement, that can be a very powerful investment tool for accumulation, right? I mean, because it will pay you. You're buying essentially when you go into life settlements, you're working with the right players. You're buying essentially, they're typically universal life policies. I had a great guest on a couple weeks ago. He's on the life settlement brokerage space, which really? is really interesting. I've always been on the investment space. He's actually on the side where he's um, selling them. He's finding, you know, representing families to sell them. Right. Um, some of these families get an incredible amount of money just for term insurance if they're the right fit. So they're selling their term policies. They're selling typically it's I IUL. Index Universal, Universal Life, which they have their place and they can be a powerful tool, but most of the time I don't like them because it was a clever, I thought it was a clever design by the insurance companies to pass off a lot of risk onto the insured. Mm. They got to really be managed and they can be very powerful, but you got to do it right. And so unfortunately, a lot of the advisors and agents 20, 30 years ago didn't know these things were going to implode. Right. And they don't have the funds. There's not enough reserve in them. So now all of a sudden they're getting handed an example, like a $180,000 year premium. Right. And the family's like mercy. And we need this money. And most of them just uh, let surrender them or not surrender right. them. Just let them lapse. Right. So what's great on the life settlement side, side on the investment space is these families, instead of letting them lapse and get nothing or second best, they surrender them and get a bare minimum from the life insurance companies. They go sell it out in the tertiary markets and uh, they can, it, it's very, usually there's something wrong. They're not going to be a long, alive much longer, right? Uh, but they want, they need the money. They want to enjoy the use and enjoyment of that money. And uh, they want to be with their kids, their grandkids. They have an immediate need. And so right. people like me and others on the investment side, uh, they are so grateful to have someone buy those policies. You're actually enriching their lives. And then on the investment space, and when they do pass away, and, and, and you can have a lot of liquidity risk with life settlements because you not, might not get paid for four, five, six, seven, right. 10 right. years. Um, but if everything's done right, life insurance policies always pay out. 
Yeah. You so are going to get paid. It's just yeah. when. And to kind of give an example, this isn't yeah. exact numbers, but imagine putting $100,000 into life settlement and knowing right. you're going to get 160 back. Right. That Now you show me a product out there that has that kind of certainty, has no geopolitical risk. Who cares who the politician is in place? Who cares what interest rates are? It doesn't matter. You will get paid. It's just when. And yeah. so it can be a very powerful product for investment. And so why, in my opinion, it's like, why would you have anything in the stock market when you can have true diversification that's not correlated? Stock market takes a dump. We got the life summons. You know, a stock market is doing real well. Oil and natural gas doesn't. You have all these areas, different pockets you can pull from. And that's the mastery when it comes to retirement is that when you have true diversification, when is like, for example, in the stock market, when is the, when is the best time to pull your money from the stock market? <laughs> right before it drops. <laughs> yeah, right at its peak. When's the worst time to pull your money? When it has already dropped to the bottom, when yeah, everybody's when picking out and pulling it out, everybody's seeing that it's dipping. So they start pulling it out. That's the worst time to take it out. Yeah. And that, and when do most people take it out though? Yeah. That right. When yeah. everybody else is getting scared and pulling out, that's when, that's when everybody jumps yeah, in. And, wow. and so, yeah, people, it's like, I always would get asked, I, I used, I go to all these network things in the past. And I hated going very yeah. rarely. Do I go now? Except if I'm trying to find a solution for my clients, yeah. it's not for me. And, uh, but, and I remember, you know, being at, at lunch meetings, people come up to me and there's other financial advisors out there and they go, Hey, not knowing that some of these people are being represented by those advisors. Hey, how much do I have in the stock market? And I go, how much can you endure losing? Well, I don't want to lose anything. Well, that's your answer. Right. But if you <laughs> right. have true diversification, you got money in life settlements, you got money in the energy sector, you got money. I'll talk a little bit about the tech sector. I would argue tech sector can be very dangerous, but it's really exciting. If you got money under the mattress, when you have true diversification and you know, understanding the reversion of the mean, the stock market will take a dump. That's just part of the game. Now you have all these other areas you can pull from. And so when you have everything work in alignment, that's how you create an incredible amount of wealth, incredible amount of certainty, incredible amount of cash flow. Yeah. And so what are some other areas outside of the market? Uh, I'll talk real briefly, you know, the bank of source, I'll talk about it, cash under a yeah. mattress. Yeah, I want to hear more about the bank of source. And let me just go back for just half sure. a second for well, our audience because we just rolled right through life settlements and we aren't going to go any more in depth on it. But I just want to, you know, paint a little bit of a picture. Um, you know, when you invest in a life settlement, what you're doing is there are people who have um, whole life insurance policies, like you mentioned, term, UIL. They have an insurance policy that is going to pay out, let's say, $200,000 at their death but they want the money today. And so they're like, hey, I would be willing to sell my $200,000 death benefit for 100,000. And then if you pick up the ongoing payments or premiums, whatever, there's a whole bunch of ways to do it. But the idea is you could buy out somebody's policy where you're gonna have a payout at some point in the future for $200,000. You invested 100,000 upfront, you maybe invested another 10 or 20,000 in keeping up with the premiums or working through a broker who handles the premiums. So you pay them a little extra upfront. But the idea is there is a, it's an inefficient market between the insurance company and the individual consumer. So you said these tertiary people come into the market and say, hey, we can make this more efficient. We can help you get money today that you need if you don't wanna wait for that cash benefit at the end of your life. And it's just interesting. We talk about this all the way back, you know, when I was in business school, this came up in our insurance class. 
And, and so I, I'm so interested. I, I looked up, there's five or six episodes that you've done uh, on your podcast, The Engineer of Finance, going into the oil and gas industry, going into life settlements, going into uh, storage units as investments. So I encourage people to go check out, if you want more data on life settlements, I'm not saying that everyone should jump in on that today. What we're saying is that there are a lot of options out there. And that if you learn about the industry, you may be able to find something that's inefficient the stock market is known to be very efficient, according to modern portfolio theory. And, and then the psychology, like Ken mentioned, the psychology of the stock market for most people's brains is opposite of what you should do. People tend to start investing when it goes way up and they tend to get scared and pull out when it goes way down, which is the exact opposite. So I love this conversation because we're helping people realize that you either have to educate yourself through the psychology of the stock market and use it as a portion of your portfolio. But what are the other things that you can do to, to round out your investing? So before we jump into Bankasaurus, because sure. I want to hear more about this, just tell me, like, where do you see somebody, you know, we talk about spending on purpose. We talk about saving before you spend. Uh, this is in getting money right. We talk about uh, in, uh, increasing your margin and then investing wisely. So we're really at a stage four of somebody's life cycle where they are starting to really invest. How much money would you, like, when would you recommend to somebody, hey, you might want to look at lifestyle settlement, life, life settlements, or you might want to look at oil and gas. Like where in somebody's journey would you start to point them towards these alternatives that are a little bit speculative, but if you have the right advisor, they can help you find the right partners. Where in somebody's lifestyle journey would you point somebody and then jump into bank a source? Yeah, well, I would say I, I really like, and, and there's a lot of synergy and alignment with you guys' approach and what you're teaching, right? Um, you don't, my opinion is you don't get to invest until you have six months to your liquid. Money that's safe and you in savings, right? Money that's safe and you can access within two weeks. Yeah. But when is it investment time? Once you have six months to a year worth of your personal expenses, family expenses dialed in, and I call it the green machine, how I help people create that. And uh, then that's your permission to get after it. Now you can start chasing rates return. Now we get to have fun. That's the fun part. It's my favorite part is the investment space, but you got to earn, you got to earn, uh, you got to create the environment and the foundation and redundant systems, right? This is all engineering stuff, right? Safety factor before yep. you get to go after it. And, and so, and that's when the stock market opens up. That's when life settlements open up. Now the risk with life and settlements is it's well, a, you gotta be with the right players. Also that know what they're doing. They're gonna be competent and they gotta be people of integrity. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how too often in this industry that's lacking. Yep. Um, but there's a liquidity risk, right? I mean, that's a, it's a very powerful accumulation strategy, but you might not see that money for a few years. So a part of your priorities and dreams, part of your goals, your strategies financially is that you're trying to knock it out of the park so you can buy a house in a couple of years. Life settlement's not a good one. Mm -hmm. but if you're thinking long-term accumulation <laughs> yeah. and you have the ability to still do a Roth IRA if you're not making too much money, uh, what a powerful concept to have all that money compounding within a Roth IRA, a life settlement. Mm. The problem with compounding returns is guess what's compounding with it? Your tax obligations. Taxes. Yep. So if you can get into something like that and, and have something that has a good return, that could be a great situation. Now, if you want to increase cash flow, real estate notes, that's where you would jump into that area. 
or where you can kind of enjoy, you kind of get immediate and delayed gratification, right? And if you play the game right, storage units, real estate, multifamily apartment complexes, being a landlord with a house or a duplex, uh, that can create a nice immediate cash flow, which could be fun. And as long as you're making a dollar a month, you can hang on to that forever. Mm-hmm. And then on the back end, what a powerful tool for accumulation strategy as well. Um, but, and then on the oil and natural gas space, again, a lot of those areas are very speculative. And, but when you have the foundation right, that's your permission to go gamble. Yeah. You know, and I always recommend when you get into these new type of things, is you always want to dip your toes in the water. It's amazing. And I've learned so much from all the clients I represent and work with. I love teaching, but boy, do I learn. Everyone I work with, I learned awesome stuff from them too. And I can tell you my wealthiest clients, they always dip their toes in the water. What a fascinating idea. They could easily cut checks way better, way bigger than the normal person. But when they get into new investment relationships, they always do the bare minimum. And they, and I love why they're successful. Yeah. Cause they didn't take crazy. It's a new relationship. It's a new relationship and they're going to, and and for, and I do this too. I I, uh, always believe people. And then I watch them through their actions. That's real truth. Watching people through their actions. And that just takes time. Mm -hmm. It's a really dangerous, painful business model for my company because uh, I don't move forward until I know it perfectly or near perfectly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, it's like, that, that's great. I'll get paid one year, two years, three years from now, but you want to understand it well. And so that, does that answer your question, Leo? Does that work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. great. Good. So let's, let's dive in a little bit into the bank of source in the last few minutes we have left. And uh, we want to respect your time. You know, yes. you, have a, you have another <laughs> thing to get to soon. So oh, thank there. you. Oh, I, I'm so grateful to come on the show. Thank you. You guys are awesome. And, uh, and, and thank you for what you guys are doing for all your listeners. And um, so thank you. And, and also, I just like being long-winded because it helps me avoid doing the paperwork I hate doing. <laughs> <laughs> you hire the right people for that, and you handle the stuff that you That's love. That's right. Very at. good. Yeah. You listen. Who, yep. not how, right? Who, you, not how. Yep. Yeah, you hire and contract people that love what you hate to do. Yep. And it's amazing. You know, it's like accounting. I absolutely hate it. My mom, phenomenal at it. That is a unique skill set. I mm-hmm. just like seeing the end. I want to see the reports. Forget all the data entry. Um, the bank of source is me just having fun. Uh, you, you say dividend paying whole life insurance. That is the most boring name in the world. And mm-hmm. boy, is it misrepresented and misunderstood uh, by the majority in this nation. But when I discovered this uh, over 10 years ago, and I just did a episode recently, it was happy, ba- happy birthday bank of source. My first bank of source just turned nine years old. Is the most the way I do it, the way I design it is the most powerful saving strategy I know. And it will drastically increase, uh, you know, your uh, ability to create more and more wealth. It will enhance every other saving investment strategy that you have. And it's just a well-designed, boring whole life insurance policy. But when you see my, I have them on my wall, my assistant put him up on the wall and he's beautiful. And I have t-shirts for all my clients. My, my son just loves his bank of source t-shirt, but he is, I, I cannot think of a more powerful product. If you use it correctly and aligns with your financial strategies where you have complete control, liquidity, use equity. It, it just imagine this piggy bank, this big, what looks like a brontosaurus and he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the amount of wealth that you'll create just on a powerful saving strategy is amazing. 
And so that's the bank of source and how I use it to implement. Uh, very powerful when it comes to liquidity for uh, cash value. Very powerful credit protections, you know, depending on what state you're in, like in Nevada. Some of my mentors got this passed through legislation uh, almost wow. a decade ago. You can have millions sitting in this and no ambulance chaser, no creditor, creditor can steal the money from you. That's a really big thing. And we've talked about it, Leo and I have with getting money right in our audience, but it's something that we don't talk about enough is how to make sure that your assets are protected, that there is a liability um, limit to what somebody could come chase down from your personal assets. So I love that aspect of what you're saying. Uh, so where would the bank of source fit? You talked about um, you know, having six months of liquidity, maybe a year of liquidity, depending on your, so would the bank of source be something that you would start somebody on right away in their emergency fund? Or would you wait till they have their, you know, one month emergency fund in place and then start a bank of source? Like, where would you fit this into somebody's life of finances? Um, well, you know, that's, this work is a little complicated because it's, it's unique. Some people, I don't think we should do it for a couple of years just because they don't have the savings habits in place. And I just don't, uh, these things are permanent. They're there for the rest of your life. And the last yeah. thing you want to do is have a lapse and not, and not, you want to do this. So you have it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And so uh, it just depends upon the situation. Um, but as, as, as part of a liquidity strategy uh, and the way I do it, you have pretty immediate liquidity. Right. And yeah. so um, it just, it's all of a part of it, money under your mattress, money in a safe, money in the savings account, and then a, a crap load in cash value and also the death benefit. And I know we're running out of time, but, you know, it, it's something seriously discounted, but the episode I just discussed, uh, you know, I had an unplanned visit to the hospital last week. Mm -hmm. And so what's very important people understand is what they're worth. I mean, you have human life value and economic life value, which I talked about in one of my episodes. And when you see what you're going to produce for your family, you see what your earned income is, you're going to create a lot of money and provide for your family for a very, very long time. And so uh, too often people discount the death benefit, but life insurance design right whole life i'm not talking about the other uh, semi-permanent versions and term but they all can have their place but dividend paying whole life insurance and designing it correctly it's all about the design um can be a very very powerful tax shelter as well all the growth is income tax free the credit protection the death benefit income tax free and i don't and, and defenses win championships offenses sell tickets as most recent episode I talked about, um, you know, things happen, weird things happen. You know, I love the relationships I have with my clients, but people die too. I always enjoy vicariously all their successes. I also vicariously when, when death occurs and I've had a lot of, especially young guys, man, in their thirties, right? Twenties, I'm never going to die. Right. I don't need death right. benefit. And then I had a client last year when I'm handing him his policies and really push, Hey, you cannot discount your economic life value. Right. Right. Uh, he had his best friend die. And it wasn't COVID. I know this is amazing to the majority of the world. It wasn't COVID that killed most <laughs> these people. It's uh, weird things. He had a, a crazy motorcycle accident oh, man. Uh, off in the dunes. And his best friend was killed. Wow. You know, a family had strong income, strong income, a wife working at home and um, with children. And all of a sudden that income stopped and no death benefit. And so the bank of source, he's just my big buddy. He just protects and grows your wealth. No one's going to be able to steal it from you. And it just enhances everything else. And I can tell you when I was doing my episode, happy birthday, Bankosaurus, um, literally, and these aren't exact numbers, but, you know, just to, you know, I know we got to run, but yeah. putting, how hard would it be for the rest of your life 
and these aren't exact numbers by any means. This is just as an example. Do you think if you're putting $10,000 into your savings account, pick your favorite bank, and there's no risk, it's all growing income tax-free, and the next year they're going to hand back to you $12,000, you and you have complete access to that money for the rest of your life, day one till you die, do you think you might find a way to pull out 10 grand? And that's just an example. It could be 100 grand. It could be 5 grand. It could be millions. Right. Do you think you might find for that kind of net yield and use your dollars that year, do you think you might be able to find 10 grand for the rest of your life? You're going to be getting 12, 15, 20 as you'd play that game. That's the bank of source and he's my love, but that's a saving strategy. It's not an investment strategy, but it'll enhance every other investment strategy. Those yeah. are like kind of the big tickets for alternative investments. So how'd I do? Hey, Ken, this was awesome. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for your time. Uh, we loved having you on the podcast. So everyone go to greenfi.com. It's green, G-R-E-E-N-E, -E, green with an E at the end, greenfi.com. Check out the podcast, The Engineer of Finance. I've got, uh, I've listened to several episodes and I've got five more in my queue to listen to, especially around what we talked about today, the oil and gas industry, uh, you know, life settlements. I'm interested in the one on, um, on storage space investing because I know that, that there's a lot of uh, high potential for return in all these areas, but you have to do it wisely. And Bankosaurus, I can't wait to learn a little bit more about that as well. So thank you, Ken, for being on the show. Uh, I, and I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time so that all together we can just keep getting money right. Thanks so much, Ken. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks. Cool. Now, if you want to increase cash flow, real estate, notes, that's where you would jump into that area. You kind of get immediate and delayed gratification, right? I and mean, if you play the game right, storage units, real estate, multifamily apartment complexes, being a landlord with a house or a duplex. Mm -hmm.